You're listening to Stories But Shorter, recorded at Wholesome Studio B1 in Chicago, Illinois. I'm your host, Cassie Jerkins. Today we have on Juan Martinez. My name is Juan Martinez, and this story is called uh, Character Limit. On the day after Trump wins the election, my wife and I strap our son into the stroller and take him down Elmdale, careful to avoid the Whole Foods on Broadway to avoid a tantrum. We're not new to Chicago, but we're new to Edgewater. I'm 52, too old to be a dad. I played ba- bass. I played bass for a band you heard of if you were a certain age in the 90s and into rock and espanol, and now I program music and other live events for the city parks. My wife, Stephanie, is also a musician, a vocalist, still touring. Though she's taking the year off, the band on a hiatus after a solid Pitchfork-approved second album. She promises everyone the hiatus is temporary. Our son's name is Gustavo, 15 months old, too young to know we named him after the lead singer for Soda Stereo. As we walk, he half sings, half babbles the same two verses of La Interesada. The part that goes, better that I don't take you to New York, better that I don't give you the sun or the moon so nothing happens to you. It's the song his grandmother sung to him when he was a baby. And the street is so quiet, everyone walking around with their hands around their mouths, looking lost, all of Chicago stunned into silence. Stephanie's white. Gustavo looks white, like super white. I look Colombian and was Colombian until last year when I finally gave in to my mom, who insisted I apply for citizenship, who said Trump was going to win, who said, who knows what will happen? What will he do? He won't win, I told my mom. Apply, she said, we'll lend you the money. My mom lent us the money. I applied. I'm a citizen now. I cast my first vote for the losing team. My son sings. Stephanie tells me she feels like weeping. We pass a woman who wears a coat the same shade of light gray as hers. That woman is weeping. A man stops us, waves at my singing kid, says, Why not happy? You have beautiful boy. He tells my wife to smile. My wife tells him to fuck off. He's dark, unshaven, wears a beige windbreaker, beige sweatpants. He wears socks and sandals. It's a mild day, a day where it is reasonable to wear sandals, socks. Should be happy. He points his index finger to the clouds. Happy, not sad. I say, we're sad about the election. He blocks the sidewalk, leans in on my son. I hate conflict. I tell myself that if man, the man is harmless and that there's nothing wrong here, nothing to worry about, no sign of anything truly serious, an old man, a crank, Chicago's full of them. You should love Trump. The old man tells my son, love Christ. He says and points at me, points at my wife with the same finger, love Trump. He tells us he's from Iraq. He's a Christian, 
that he knows he knows that Trump loves us, screams at us now, screams till our son is in tears and we roll away, my wife crying, the voice steady after us, love Trump, love Trump, love Trump. We go into the Whole Foods and buy our kid an expensive muffin. We know the cashier, he knows us, and when I ask him how he's been, he tells us he's fine. I'm shaking, so is the cashier. I ask him again, I tell him I hope he's okay, he's fat, gay, has stupendous hair, dyed purple and silver. He tells us it's all he can do not to cry. That's what my wife cries. You're not alone, the cashier says. I shake my head. I want to say no, not alone. We're all in this together. The cashier says, you're the fifth person to cry at the register. He hands my wife a Kleenex. My wife keeps crying. Our son stops eating food for a second, bursts into song once more. A month later, I have to fly to DC, a conference. I'm alone at O'Hare and it's mid-morning. No one but me and an old couple ahead of me. The husband in a beige bucket hat, a lure pinned to it. They fumble with a self-check-in. My phone's in my pocket, waiting. But I don't check the news out of respect for Stephanie, who is not even here. My wife is off Twitter, mostly off Facebook. Too much Trump, too much that's upsetting. She's asked me to stop checking Twitter so often. I try to keep the phone in my pocket, but the couple mutters about the reservation. They don't know the number. The wife rolls her eyes. The husband swivels, waves at the reservation counter where three women stare down and don't wave back. I do the pull down at the top edge thing with my thumb to refresh. Three headlines, each super upsetting. I repost all three without bothering to read the articles. I refresh again. I should stop. I actually say this to myself because I'm so used to having the kid with me and narrating everything, a long monologue about the day with the occasional song or two, and I do it in the same sing-song I use on Gustavo. Stop, I say. You should stop. I do what I promised my wife. I do. I would do. I stop. I turn off the phone so I can't check the feed and feel like I should turn it on again. Text my wife. Let her know that I've done it. I've done what she asked. I've turned off my phone. I have not shared an awful Trump item with anyone, herself included. She'd be so proud. Usually I can't help myself, but this time I am good. Most mornings I'm up before she is. Up before Gustavo is up. And by the time she wakes up, I got the kid on my lap and he's drinking a bottle of milk and humming La Interesada and I'm already on my second cup of coffee and full of news, executive orders, cabinet appointees, lies, in-depth profiles. I share it all. She asks me to stop. She says, wait till I've had coffee. She says, maybe just share one thing, not all the things. It's upsetting, she says. It's so upsetting and it just makes you upset and then it makes me upset. And then what can we do? What don't we know? Let's have a moment to breathe. I agree. I breathe, find something else to talk about, then forget and share another awful Trump thing with her the very next morning. She's not here now. We haven't done this. I never have to travel for work. She's never had to take care of the kid by herself. 
The night before I go, she asks, what if I get sick? What if I get horribly sick while you're away and I can't take care of our boy? I tell her it won't happen. That the odds of, happy, of it happening are so slim. They're so slim as to be impossible. She won't get sick. Seriously, I say, what are the odds? The old man turns and shakes his newly printed tickets at me. So glad there's no rioters here, he says. He lingers by the self-check-in. The screen reads, welcome. I don't say to him, uh, those weren't rioters. Uh, they're protesters. I have the Tribune on my feed, the Sun-Times, and DNA Info, and Time Out Chicago, and Chicagoist. I could tell him about the lawyers who blah, flocked to O'Hare when the Muslim ban broke havoc. I could tell him about the Middle Eastern bakeries on Albany Park that sent food to the lawyers. I could tell him about my colleagues at City Parks who took the blue line all the way to O'Hare so they could join the protest. The protest, I could tell him, not the riot. I point at the screen and say, the airport's pretty empty today. I'm one of those dudes who resist the carry-ons with the little wheels. My weekender bag is heavy and the strap slides down my shoulder. Uh, even the TSA lines down, I say, and pull the strap back to where it won't slide. It slides again. His wife taps him on the shoulder. The man fiddles with the handle of his carry-on. You're not from here, he says. I grab onto the sliding strap. He taps my shirt collar with his tickets. Where are you from? Uh, Columbia, I say. My wife would have told him to fuck off or... I'm from Chicago, you hayseed. Where the fuck are you from? My wife would have asked, what fucking business is it where I'm from? She would have said, Syria, you asshole. She's the vocalist. I am just a former bass player. At least you're not from Venezuela, he says. It's a mess over there. I tell him that I lived in Venezuela for seven years. I don't know why I tell him anything. I don't know why I volunteer information. The man shakes old age. I'll shake too one day. I already ache. My back gives out anytime I carry our son up the stairs. He says, you're not carrying a bomb in there. His shaky finger finds my sliding bag. What I feel is like nothing I felt before. I'm away from my body for a moment, light, like my heart isn't beating, like I don't have a heart. I think this is happening. I've lived half a century. And nothing like this has happened to me. I should tell someone. I should tell the old man to fuck off. He says, any bombs in that bag of yours? No, I say no bombs. Sure, he says. His wife pulls his shirt sleeve. Not even a little bomb? Excuse me, I say. His finger points straight at the white rods crisscrossing the O'Hare ceiling. Love Trump, he says. You should love him. Love Trump. And of course, it's not the same man, not the same man at all. No reason to think it's the same man. The eyes are the same, crazed. The walk is the same too. The walk of a crazy old man, the same careful shuffle. He totters away. The screen still says, welcome. I put in my reservation. I get my ticket, walk to the TSA line. The old man sits on a bench, one shoe off, his bucket had flops on one of those translucent TSA trays like a dead fish. You don't belong here, the old man tells me, you're not from here. 
you're from the other place. Both his shoes are off now. His socks are a smear, a smear of gray and beige. His feet stink. I should say something I don't. Trust me, he says, you'd be happier there. You'd be happy. His wife wears my wife's coat, the same gray. She weeps. I belong here. I say I'm supposed to be here. He shakes his head, tells me I don't know anything. That If I'm going to be here, the least I could do was learn the culture, learn the rules. I don't tell him I've been here forever, that I belong. I want to apologize. I want to tell him this has never happened. Nothing like this has happened before. I want to comfort his wife who has not stopped weeping. Excuse me, I say. I offer her a Kleenex, which I keep in my jacket pocket at all times because our kid has a mild permacold ever since daycare. The wife stares at me, horrified. She won't take it. The old man slaps my hand away. Who do you think you are, he says. You don't know who you are, where you belong. They walk through the detectors. Their bags are full of bottles. The bottles are full of liquids. The couple is pulled aside. The man asks the TSA agent where he's from, who he voted for. The woman never stops crying. I leave them there and make it to my plane. And it's only when we're about to take off that I remember that I've left my phone off, that I should tell my wife that the plane is about to leave, that I love her. I turn it on. My wife has left voicemails, sent texts. She's sick with a high fever. Our son, too. She's in the emergency room. And so is our kiddo. They don't know what it is. Can I call her back? Why won't I call her back? She's scared. She says she's so scared. She texts, where are you? The plane takes off. I text her. I tell her I love her, that everything's going to be okay. I hope that the message will get through, but there's no signal and no Wi-Fi, and we are in the air. My wife is sick. I tell the flight attendant I need to send her a message. She's very sick. My son and my wife are very sick. The flight attendant says she's sorry. There's nothing they can do. That the flight won't take too long. Two hours. That's not long, is it? That's not terribly long. Your family will be fine. It's a fever. My kids got fever all the time, the attendant says. I was sick all the time, the flight attendant tells me. It's daycare. I agree. Say nothing. I don't say, I shouldn't have taken this flight. I don't belong here. I should not be here. I make it back the next day. Just as they're about to be released from the hospital, the fever broken, both on antibiotics and pale, but happy. Our kid safely strapped to the back seat, to the car seat. The car seat safely strapped to our Volvo, tries to sing his two little verses, but his poor throat is so hoarse, the song barely comes out. I drive them home. The day is unnaturally warm, a winter that insists on spring. We don't turn on the heat. My wife tells me she couldn't get out of bed, couldn't reach any of our friends. She had to call 911. Her throat burned. She whispers, my singer, she was so scared. She knew it. She tells me she knew she was going to get sick. I tell her she was so brave and our kid was so brave. And I'm so sorry. Never leave. She says, don't leave us. Never. I say she wants to know what DC felt like, but I flew back the next day. So it didn't feel anything. DC didn't feel like anything. She says, so DC was normal, like totally normal. 
I tell my wife that the airport gift shops bloom with uh, Trump stuff. The stupid red hats, the t-shirts, the coffee table books with the same moronic photo, the constipated smile, the thumbs up. It's weird seeing it there, cheap and tacky, next to the pink hoodies you see at every airport, the ones embroidered with the name of the city you're about to leave. I also tell her about the Obama cash, how the gift shops kept an Obama t-shirt on display, defiant and off to the side. Hope. How you could still buy that instead. A world where we did not lose. Where a sane person was still president. That's not our world, she says. I nod. What if we have to leave, she says, like, leave the country. It's only later that night when she's asleep and the kiddo's asleep and I've exhausted all sources of information, every news article, every Twitter thread about the meaning of every article, every assurance that what we were hearing, what Trump was doing was not normal. But I realized I didn't tell her about the old man at the check-in counter, how he echoed the other old man, how he told me I didn't belong here love Trump. But there's only so much you can say to a sick person. I didn't want to upset her. I didn't want her to get upset at me for not saying anything back. I'll tell her when she wakes up is what I say to, my, what I say to myself. But I don't. What I tell her instead is what I tell her every morning, a summary of everything awful she missed while she was asleep. We know more now. We know so much more about the Russian contacts and about how wildly unprepared the Trump people were for the transition and how I stopped myself. I made coffee. I said, how are you feeling? Not great, she says. Our closest L stop is Thorndale, uh, but it doesn't have an elevator and the kiddo goes with me to a daycare that's right by my office at the loop. So we have to roll north two blocks to the Granville stop. It is cold once again. I press the button on the elevator. You're not allowed to bring strollers during rush hour, so I have to wait until nine. Uh, my wife stays home. She's been working on a few songs. She's been thinking of sharing them with the band. She's not sure yet. They're love songs, but they're love songs to our kiddo, like the Andrea Echeverri solo album we both love so much. Stephanie hums the new songs to our kid. Her voice is still hoarse. The kiddo's already fine. To get to the platform, once you get off the elevator, you have to cross a narrow strip. Two people can fit, sort of, if you're careful. And if one of them goes on the edge closest to the tracks, the one covered in the nubbly blue plastic that warns you you're too close, I never, never roll the stroller that close to the edge. If there's someone trying to get to the elevator, I let them pass. Or if they let, or, you know, they let me pass. It's all very polite, very Midwestern. And you rarely run into trouble. Everybody knows the drill. Today, a man and a woman stand on the strip. Tall, in her 70s, the same tall person stoop as Stephanie's mom. She's checking his, she's checking his phone, waiting for a northbound train, oblivious. She looks exactly like Stephanie's mom, wears her hair in the same curly short bob. I cough. The woman gestures at the nubbly platform edge with her phone, makes the go-around gesture. That's my second least favorite gesture in Chicago. 
Uh, the first is the driver's impatient hand wave at full stops when you're the pedestrian and have the right of way and you they're wanting to turn and it's supposed to be magnanimous like yes please pass but really it's imperious and impatient and crazy making i don't go around i roll closer to her because usually that's enough people get it people realize you've got a baby and the baby needs to be safe and they'll make way the lady surely she's a grandmother she looks like the spitting image of gustavo's own grandmother doesn't make way her clothes smell damp. Her skin, too. She's back on her phone, back on Twitter. She refreshes her feed. I said, could you back up? She doesn't look up. Could you? Could you go back to wherever the fuck you're from, amigo? I've got a stroller. I say, just back up. Why? Why don't you just listen? Why don't you believe us? She shows me her phone. But her speed is nothing I haven't seen before. The Pepe Frog with the Trump hair, more memes, more all cap denunciations. She says, why don't you love us? Love Trump. My kid sings. My heart stops beating. Our train drum rumbles to the stop and drums out the words that aren't words, not yet. Our son is so close to words, to full phrases. We're right on the edge. That's when she leans and grabs the stroller. I pull back. But her grip is strong, and I don't want her to fall, don't want to hurt someone who looks so frail and familiar. I try to pull back anyway, the stroller doesn't move. She could shove us both. We'd fall before anyone could help. No, you got that wrong, she smiles. You wouldn't both fall, she says, her teeth green with rot. Just your son. You just get to watch. Watch and scream. You like to think... You're the kind of parent who jump in front of the train. You're not. You wouldn't. You wouldn't even have time. You'd just watch. You'd watch it happen. You're letting it happen. I pull again and think, it's not Stephanie's mother, Gustavo's grandmother. It's not anyone I know. Who is she? Who are they? These people who love Trump want us to love Trump. She says, we keep telling you. We keep telling you how angry we were, and you didn't listen. We keep telling you how you don't belong, and you don't listen. We keep coming to you, and here you are, standing here, and you just keep ignoring us. Why? Why do you think we come to you? She lets go of the stroller, refreshes her feed. Nothing new. The same anger, the same hate, the same rage. Love, Trump, she says. It's so simple. Love, Trump, why don't you get it? He loves you even though you don't belong, even though you're supposed to be in the other place. Again, she refreshes her feed. There's so much. That's the thing my wife doesn't understand. It's such a little miracle, Twitter. You can pack so much into so little. All these little poems, these information bombs, these beautiful little jokes and songs. And they're so short, little bursts. Like my son's version of La Interesada. Two verses, you're in, you're out. It's a Ramon's chorus. Even the other side has it, gets it, gets it better than we do. Again, the woman refreshes the feed and it's a photo of my wife and my kid going down Elmdale, my son singing, my wife singing along. I am not there in that photo. In the photo, Stephanie pushes Gustavo down our street, one hand on the stroller, one hand covering her mouth. She is doing all she can not to cry. I recognize the day. Remember the gray of November, the gray of my wife's coat, her shocked expression. I remember my son's singing. It's the day after the election. 
the old man, the crazy old man who yelled at us, who first told us to love Trump. He's crossing the street, coming at my family. My wife doesn't see him. The old lady refreshes her phone. In the next photo, the old man leans into the stroller, screams, and my wife screams back, and I am not there. I am not anywhere. I keep hoping I'll show up, that the photo is a mistake, that I am missing a key piece of information. It'll show up. I'm sure everything does. Everyone shows up. Okay, I say. Hit refresh. She does. More photos. More trains rumble past. We keep missing our trains, this old woman and I. And I keep thinking we'll be late for work. We're missing work. We're missing so much. I can't hear my son. He's in the photos, though, him and my wife. They're photos of them at Winnemac Park chasing pigeons. There's one of them in Andersonville right by the play lot. And you can make out the water tower with the Swedish flag painted on it. But the water on the water tank and the water tower froze last winter and it had to be removed. There is talk of putting it back because it means so much to the neighborhood. We love the water tower. We also miss it. We miss it so much because it's no longer there. I'm looking at the photo and the water tower is there. Its presence undeniable, and I am no longer with my family. The woman keeps refreshing the feed. I keep staring at it. She won, you know, she says. Hillary won. Where you're from? Crooked Hillary wins the Electoral College, the Blue Wall holds, our wall doesn't get built. Her breath is rank reptilian. We don't, you know, we don't throw the lot of you out or try to. We don't get to put you in camps over there. She giggles, we can't. We're not there. We can't even breathe the air in the other place. Again, she refreshes the feed and it keeps going. Of course it does. It's not a thing that stops. Twitter doesn't stop. It's not a story. It's just an endless stream. She says, we try to. Oh, we try. We've tried. We're still trying over there. Again, she smiles. I can make out the green of her real skin behind her human skin. The long reptilian tongue forked. She's smiling at my son and my son is smiling back. She says, we'll get there. Don't you worry. We will. Please let us through. I say, don't you want to go back? He says, she says, don't you want to be with your own kind? Let us through. I say, please. They'll be fine. Your family will be fine. They're white. The old lady licks, the old lady licks her lips. You don't you know what we'll do to you? Don't you know what we're doing? I don't tell her that I know, that it's all I know, all I've consumed since November. I don't tell her because she knows and because I need her to let us through. I need to go. You don't understand. She says, we can't have you here. I don't say, but I am here. I don't say, I've been here long enough to belong. I just became a citizen. I have rights. You can't do anything to me. I don't know what I can say to make you leave, to leave us alone. And I think if I back away, she'll come back. Or if not her, it'll be another person. It will be the shell of another person, the same frog-like thing underneath. And the frog thing will say, love Trump. You keep missing it, the frog says. You're not even looking. You stare at your screen all day and you didn't, don't even see the little gift we left you. She backs away, smiling still. She's having a grand time. This thing that is not a woman, not my grandmother, not my mother-in-law. They took her, I think. They took Stephanie's mother. 
just her skin. The frog says, that's all we needed. All we needed was her skin. My son giggles, goes on with his song. Better I don't take you anywhere so nothing happens to you. I'm on the train when I see what the frog was talking about. They pinned it to the top of my feed. It's been there. It's always been there. And I had mistaken it for an ad, had mistaken it for something inconsequential, a message so compact and so innocuous that it's not even a message. It's not anything. It's there even after I unpin it. It's there even after I refresh the feed. It's always there. And it's short, shorter than anything. It reads, exit. I could, I suppose, exit. I could click on it. I don't suspect my family would miss me. Likely, I would not exist. Not here. I'd be as absent as the Andersonville water tower. My family would not know. I wonder if I would remember them. My wife, my son, my wife's voice, my son's song. If, once I clicked on it, I'd forget our mornings, our life. We're on our way to work, my son and I, and it occurs to me that it's possible I could click on the exit by mistake. I do it all the time with ads. It'd be easy to do. It'd be better to delete the app to be safe. I don't know why I don't. I stay on Twitter. I scroll through the day's calamities, mindful of where my finger swipes the screen. The exit, a loaded bomb, a trigger. I read each awful news item and think it can't get worse. It just can't. That's the last time the frogs will come to me. No more old men at the sidewalks of O'Hare. No more old women on the platform. They've given me their warning. They want me out. Love Trump. Love Trump or get out. I've heard them. They know I've heard them. We're done. They'll leave us alone. It can't get any worse. This is what I tell myself. I say it out loud. I repeat it. I say it to my son. I say it again and again and again. It can't get any worse. But it can. Of course it can. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Well, thank you for the invitation. Of course. Yes. Um, so it seems obvious to like, but I think for the purpose of the talk back to use into like, what well, like inspired you to write this story. <laughs> um, maybe like some personal like themes that maybe you were exploring. Totally. So yeah. I guess the the way that I, um, I think that there's a, there's a very healthy sort of like uh, approach when people are, you know, asking about like first person stories mm -hmm. about like, well, it's obviously the narrator is not the writer, but um, the narrator is the writer a lot. Like yeah. that is me. I, mm -hmm. uh, we had a very weird encounter mm -hmm. the day after the election with like somebody who's not okay. Yeah. Uh, and who kind of accosted us on the street. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we totally all went to the Whole Foods and uh, we talked to our friend, the cashier, mm -hmm. who told us that a bunch of people had just cried yeah. right in front of him. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's that's that's sort of where, mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of the story started yeah. happening. I mean, I mean, I feel like a lot of us have, like, where were you, like, the, the night or the day, you know? And I remember, like, I had, like, a comedy show that night. Oh. And it would, like, 
so many of us were like at home watching the election being like this is gonna be such a win people were at parties just happy yeah yeah and then by the time i got to the show it was like just walking to the theater people were just crying on the streets and then yeah. getting there and like hugging friends and then trying to do a show and oh. just like okay we're all gonna just go home and <laughs> be upset um so i know for me reading like yeah the beginning of the story was like i think very relatable and then um yeah and then just like further going into like like i just like the three interactions that happened in the story um yeah they seem so like personal and um yeah, it's just like also, you know, being in Chicago versus like LA or like it just makes me think of America as a whole, like what was happening in each city that day, you know? And um yeah, and then also like the obsession with like Twitter and wanting to be connected. But then like I know for me I personally struggle with like wanting to know what's happening, but also being like needing a break or like just having a healthy relationship and not feeling like completely like just like a big wave is like drowning us, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I've been I've been on a bit of a Twitter break and uh -huh. I, I'll take them like every couple of months. I'll just go off and not mm -hmm. be on Twitter. And one, I mean, this is going to sound so obvious because <laughs> the story is about Twitter and it's about like, why can't yeah. I not be on Twitter? Mm -hmm. right? like, um, but one of the things that really struck me once I was off Twitter is how wonderful traditional media is and mm -hmm. how... Um, if you just wait a moment, mm -hmm. like you sort of get people who have been thinking and digesting this stuff for like half an hour. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and they actually give you, they figure out what's kind of important, mm -hmm. what's noise and what is, you know, and, you know, so that is, that's actually what the Yeah. Yeah. That's like nice to hear because I know I feel like just like the past few years, like I've even gotten to a point where like it's hard to like even trust the media like you know like mm -hmm. uh, i mean yeah i think just as simple as like you know before the election just everyone being like we're gonna be fine you know this is a win and like even afterwards people being like i don't know what happened like let's figure out like where we even just like as a group mind right. like what's believing in the wrong information and not really looking at things yeah you know? and i think that's sort of like where at least the the more kind of bananas part of the story like mm -hmm. the idea is like this is a whole weird alternate universe full of i just realized that they, they, that's kind of like half pepe the frog yeah you know, poor poor pepe the cartoonist you know who's <laughs> actually know. completely innocent dude yeah uh, but uh yeah it's half pepe the frog but i think it's just like uh you know that old that like 80 show v about like mm -hmm. the reptilian invaders look really nice oh, right yeah. so i mean that that part of it is all crazy but it really did like i was trying to find so I'm, I love speculative fiction. That's sort of mm -hmm. like a lot of what I read, but also a yeah. lot of what I write mm -hmm. is sort of in a gray area between those two things. And one thing that I love about it is that it feels like it exists in a space where you can have like a really crazy feeling mm -hmm. and have that feeling manifest itself in, the ter in terms of a completely unreasonable, irrational, erratic, nonsensical plot <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah and, and that's what it like and like it's like oh we're kind of living that right now so yeah yeah why not keep going <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean i really did enjoy that with the story of like yeah it feels so real and then like the moments where it does get more fantastical it's like but it also feels like it could be real just because yeah. like we are experiencing these like 
extreme emotions in our country. And then, yeah, I mean, yeah, it makes me think of like Twitter. It's like, if you want to find like the content that's like yes ending what you're looking for, like you can find it. So like the Pepe, you know, oh, yeah. like they they're following that diatribe and yeah, well, you know. and also like some amazingly fanciful theories as to like how our whole existence. I mean, if they the 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 Q stuff right, mm -hmm. is a wonderful example of a banana story that people find weirdly plausible right? mm -hmm. yeah 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 um yeah and uh i'm trying to think like the best way uh to ask this but like i feel like um you know as artists we like maybe have an idea of like what we want our art to be like you were saying like speculative like fiction yeah. like and then you have like life happen to you and then that influences like what you write um which obviously the story feels like <laughs> a big like <laughs> yeah. yeah um so how like do you have you noticed that a lot in your work of like just like letting life influence and maybe or feeling like a responsibility to like capture like what we're experiencing in this moment of time i do i mean there's there's we have like a long track record of like awful political art that mm -hmm. has come out. I, I think somebody, I think it might have been Margaret Atwood of, of all people, uh, mm -hmm. who in a, she was at Northwestern, which is where I teach. And she had this one, I, I'm, if I'm misremembering and it's not her, I'm sorry, Margaret Atwood. Uh, <laughs> but uh, about how, you know, about the political and how it enters the writing and how during Vietnam there mm -hmm. was a, uh, apparently this long tradition of just terrible Vietnam poetry mm -hmm. written by very good poets. But mm -hmm. They were responding to the moment. They were being, being yeah. very heated. So I think that there's a a real sort of like, you know, thing that has been baked into a lot of us, myself included, that mm -hmm. uh, if you're writing about a very particular moment in time and it is politically charged, uh, you are going to create shitty art. <laughs> and I think that's—I mean, honestly, yeah. I there's—I I think I, there's a part of me that still is aware of that and mm -hmm. is not even sure how well the stories will age. But I mm -hmm. don't care. Like, you, like, yeah. Do you feel like you just like want to get it out? Yeah. Like, so that's what I felt. Yeah. It felt like I felt that there was uh, an urgency about mm -hmm. like sort of figuring out. And also, like one of the other things is. Um, this is partly born out of like my preoccupation with Twitter, but also just sort of out of my preoccupation with what was going on day to day is mm -hmm. I realized how much of what we were experiencing, we were kind of already, was already getting flooded away by the next awful thing. Uh -huh. yeah. um, and one, like one thing that I'd forgotten about until I had to reread the story was how consequential and how chaotic the muslim ban was when it was first affected and you mm -hmm. had people literally stuck in airports and then you yeah. had lawyers flocking to it it was i mean in protest and people just like trying to stop this right mm -hmm. so and like that feels like ancient history now yeah like, you know but it's like mm -hmm. what 2016 i mean it would have been like yeah yeah so it's i it's it's a little it's kind of amazing to me how much we've gone through and yeah. how nice it is to leave a little record and also i i'm sorry i just want to one other one thing that i have sort of figured out about like how to make it how to make 
writing that is explicitly political maybe not suck mm -hmm. or not suck as much as it could <laughs> is to be really true to some of the real incongruencies and paradoxes not in the situation but in my own processing and experiencing of the situation yeah, yeah. so it's more like do you think it comes out more like personal and real and like maybe hopefully the reader is able to like imagine what it's like to you know be in this time and place like when these things are happening exactly so i mean person. like we're like you know i think john barth had a, a good line about how literature is really about the experiencing of experience mm. right? which i thought was a very nice elegant way of putting it so <laughs> I, you know like movies have like a great way of doing stuff yeah. stand-up is kind of awesome mm -hmm. for that stuff but uh uh, TV for sure, mm -hmm. uh, but none of them can get really get inside somebody's head, right? I think as as much as a uh, fiction, for, yeah. yeah, yeah, and so like letting like letting and yeah, that's so cool, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then yeah, one other thing I want to talk about, and this is I'm you're a father, so I think like obviously the child in the story is yes. like, but like it's just so important to have him babbling <laughs> throughout the oh, story you yeah, know what i mean yeah. like it just like really reminds us like of like the innocence and like you know uh so i, I don't know no if you no that's speak totally, on that no, no it was totally <laughs> intentional right yeah I mean, so if so much of the story is about voices right mm -hmm. about the, uh, voices that cross purposes voices that are you know the both of the characters are well, like the, the the poor wife who doesn't really get to say much but she's mm -hmm. a singer right mm -hmm. uh and you know he he does music his son does music there's uh so there's this constant sort of stream of mm -hmm. messages that are sort of coming out and there's twitter and so part of the whole thing was that there's that felt like there was a chorus of people speaking and the fact that the kid was just singing this very sweet song mm -hmm. um that is yeah that's kind of like it's it's kind of weird because we uh, again, that's totally just lifted from life. Mm -hmm. That's the song yeah. that my mom sings to my son. Mm -hmm. um, and we actually ended up looking it up because my mom is tone deaf. So uh -huh. her version of the song <laughs> is completely very different from the, the song that, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. I'm glad. I, yeah. I love, you know, I, lo I love that I was able to... Uh, to put that in there yeah, yeah yeah thank you so much um and then obviously we'll have uh in the show notes like links to you know your work and stuff but is Very there anything cool. on the on the air like do you want to plug your twitter oh <laughs> okay so yeah totally i should so i've been <laughs> off twitter but i just realized by the time whenever this airs yeah like november november yeah. i'll totally be back on twitter again too mm -hmm. much and so i am <laughs> um i i usually do i've been weirdly sort of refusing to retweet like mm -hmm. important political stuff because i figured everybody is seeing it is seeing it anyway yeah. so like i just have dumb posted mm -hmm. sketches so you should totally check them out <laughs> uh, and it's a uh, former ford okay uh, which is just really it's very so if there's if there's a link there's a link yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll put it in the show yeah, notes yeah, for very sure cool. and it's also it's my website it's formerford.com awesome yeah yay yeah cassie Great. this was so much fun this is so much fun yeah. thank you for coming on one yeah. <laughs>
Stories But Shorter is produced by Jeremy Schmidt and hosted by me, Cassie Jerkins. Hi folks, Sean Watkins here. I'm here to tell you about my podcast slash album called This Is Who We Are. That's right, it's a podcast and a record, all rolled into one. Each episode features one song off the record, paired up with a conversation with a guest who is related to that song in some way. Guests include Jackson Brown, Inara George, Kate Micucci, and the conversations aren't about these songs specifically. The songs just serve as sort of a topical springboard that hopefully will lend a little context to this new album of mine. Sort of like a modern day version of Liner Notes, only much more personal. The podcast and the album are both called This Is Who We Are. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire. <laughs>